As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Wow, I am so excited to, to have you here with us. In fear, it's a natural part of life. We may fear spiders, we may fear the unknown, and if you're a dentist, you may fear that DSO coming in next door to you. That's why I'm so excited about today is because by the time we finish, you're going to know why you don't have to fear that DSO next door, and you're going to know how to invest and grow your own practice. You're going to have a much better understanding of really how to structure your dental practice as the business that it is. And you're going to feel more confident about your future moving forward. And you're going to feel more confident about the health of your dental practice. And so excited to have Vin Cardillo with us today of Mava Dental Advisors. And Vin, his own, he's built and he's sold DSOs. And he's here to help you learn how to do the same. Vin, welcome to the show. Tim, thanks so much. Uh, I, I feel honored to be on your show and, and to share any thoughts and knowledge and education to, to, to your, to your group. Well, thank you. It's a joy to talk to you. And I'll tell you, it's such an important topic today because uh, DSOs aren't just a small part of the market anymore, are they? No, I mean, it's, it, you know, I've gotten involved in the DSO in the nineties and, you know, after I sold my first one in the early two thousands, I thought it was all over. I was like, well, you know, I guess this is the end of it. And it has not stopped moving forward. There are probably today 180 institutional investors investing in dentistry. And because there's that many, they have a mandate to continue to buy or invest in dentistry. So they're moving. Yeah. Well, take us back to, to your first DSO and getting involved in that. Give us a little bit of your background and, and what role you played in that and, and how that came together and, and, and what happened. Yeah, so um, I was getting my uh, MBA in the 90s, and I had a friend of mine that was managing a, uh, three dental offices. And, I, you know, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't really prepared to go into the Fortune 500 world. Um, so uh, my friend and I chatted about the opportunity, and I asked to see, you know, like, how do these dental practices run? What, what are the numbers like? And um, after seeing them, I, I, we decided that we would try and do a DSO on our own in Massachusetts. And um, we did. So in, in the late 90s, probably 1996, uh, I think we were the first DSO, um, non-dentist DSO, if you would, in Massachusetts. 
So uh, my friend knew the operations piece. We had a dentist partner that, that he knew. And then I was able to get us financing from the banks based on the numbers. And, you know, we opened up and we didn't have any money in the bank the day we opened. So we had to succeed. We didn't have a choice. And in our first year, we did 900000 So uh, my partner and I separated shortly thereafter. Um, and then I proceeded to grow to five locations in my 20s and then ended up selling it in my 30s to a group called Great Expressions out of Michigan. And I had six locations at the time. And I, I was in charge of the Northeast operationally um, for them. And over three years, when I sold to that group, they had 40 locations. With my six, it was 46. And in three years, that group grew to about 70. And then um, my contract was up, so I took some time off. And uh, then after a couple of dentist friends of mine that had sold a Heartland right around the same time I did in Florida, um, their non-competes were up and they were back in the business. And, you know, we chatted on how we might work together. Um, you know, one of the reasons I sold originally was that I didn't have a strong clinical director or a clinical partner. Um, so this was a good opportunity because these guys were dentists. They understood it. They've been there and done that. So in uh, January of 11, I moved to Florida and we started a new group with three offices. And in 28 months, we had 31 and we sold it to a private equity firm. Wow. I, I mean, that, that's absolutely amazing. And I'm guessing along this journey, you've learned a couple of things, haven't you? Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. And that's 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 why Mava Dental Advisors does what it does today is because we, we just kind of help people not make the same mistakes that I did. <laughs> so, 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 right. So, so once again, kind of going back, right. If you could have a conversation with your earlier self and, and, and share some of those mistakes and say, don't do that. What would be a couple of those things that you would tell your, your former self not to do? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a real, real good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, you've got to, you know, this is kind of beat up and I don't want to say it. So much. you have to understand your culture. You have to know who you are. Right. And and you have to communicate to that to the team. And then you have to follow through to make sure they understand it. Just having your once a year meeting saying, OK, these are the mission purpose values is not enough because when you do in that fashion and you ask the team, they'll never know. Right. So it's got to be plastered everywhere. You've got to do incentives around it. So you've got to get everyone on that team rowing the same boat. Hmm. When I was younger, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just trudge forward myself. Yeah, you can do it that way. You're going to burn through a lot of people and it's going to take you a lot longer and you're going to get gray hair like I do, like I have. <laughs> So, so really kind of that, that starting point is just getting clear on, on who you are, what you're creating, and then being able to communicate that well to the, the team around you so you can get everyone growing in the same direction, so to speak. Exactly. So if you can, if you can capture that at one location, then going to the second one becomes much easier because everyone understands where we're going, how we're doing it, you know, what, what our culture is like. And then after it's 
then you get into the business aspect of it, right? What KPIs are we looking at? How often do we get the P&L? How is our marketing campaigns going? And, and but that's, you know, that's your typical um, blocking and tackling for the administrative team, if you would. Okay. And I think, I think having that organizational chart is imperative of who reports to who and why. And it's not, it's not to create hierarchy. It's just to create accountability and it allows you to train those people in those roles that are one where they're accountable for other people. It gives you the opportunity to grow hmm. those people. Cause this, this whole, I don't know, practice of dentistry, if you would, it's about patients and it's about doctors and it's about hygienists and the rest of the team. So it's a people practice. It's a people organization. It's a people business. So your success is going to be based on how many people you can grow. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And I think that's such a great insight that you offer. Cause I, I think so often, maybe if you're a dentist listening to this, you're thinking, you know what, by the, by the time I get to my second or third location, then I'll worry about the mission and the vision and the why and the purpose, right? I just, I, I just got to grow this thing first. When in reality, it's it's having that purpose and getting the team aligned that's going to enable that growth. Totally. I mean, look, and I that was, you know, I did the same thing. It was like, well, we got one office. I tell people, hey, our mission is we're going to have another office. But that was really it. And it was just difficult, more difficult to get them wrong in the same direction. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about a little bit about just kind of that, that journey to a DSO owner and what that looks like. And we've already touched a little bit on that first piece, which is just getting clear on your mission, your vision, your why. Even if you've got one office or you're thinking about buying your first office, you really should go into it with some clarity. But but kind of walk us through what is this journey to, to really becoming a DSO owner look like? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, hey, look, you have a vision whatever that vision may be um, that you want to provide the best service for patients in your community. And you don't feel that someone in your market can do it to that level. And you're, you're just inspired to do so. Right. Or you're inspired because you think it's uh, a good investment, which it is. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one or two of those, or a third is philanthropic, right? You're doing it for a philanthropic reason. And you have to you have to get some coaching, I think, from a mentor or, or from whomever, because unfortunately, you know, dental schools are teaching dentists to be providers. And the energy that you have to put into being a provider all day long and then to running the business aspect of it is just too much i think it's i think it's too much for one person to be able to do well for an expand uh, an extended period of time and i think i think some dentists feel like they have to be great at both of those and i think you know people put a lot of pressure on themselves for that. I mean, at the end of the day, like we talked about, we got to deliver the right care for the patient. 
because if the patient's happy, they're going to come back and they're going to tell someone else. And that's how you have a business to provide the care. Yeah. Okay. So, so right. Once again, kind of that, that clarity and right. Getting a mentor is so important because they don't teach you this stuff in, in dental school. Right. I always like to joke, dentists are great with numbers as long as those numbers are one to 32, right? The number of teeth in a human mouth. Aside from that, things get a little bit fuzzy. And and, and so just that business acumen and working with people who know how to do this, right? You learn from their mistakes so you don't have to make the same ones. Yeah, and then the systems, right? You have to have systems in that you have to understand it works, tested it. You have to put it together in documentation, in a manual or some sort, even in the beginning, if it's bullet points, right? It's got to become a tool that says, okay, when a new patient comes in, we do A through Z, they go to hygiene first and they go to hygiene, you know, it's A through Z again, just listing those. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a 25 page manual or anything elaborate in the beginning. But it's something that you're seeing, you're testing, and you know that it works, and it's documented. And when someone comes in, you guys have tested a training strategy and how to bring someone from A to B within your organization. So you have those. You learn about the key performance indicators of a dental practice, which ones are important. And and those there are connected to your values because – Because if you go, you know, sign up for one of these dashboards that are out there, the data, there's too much data, right? And that all those data points are not for everyone, but the data points that are connected to your core values, most of them are important, Hmm. right? So, you know, you know, you need to understand your productivity levels. We like to go. Um, productivity, gross, and net per hour, right? Hygiene, if you're big into perio, you have to track your 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 perio percentage. So the, uh, the percentage of the procedures that the hygienists do that are perio-related, right? And there are the, there are benchmarks in the industry. Um, and and the, one of the most important things is the profit and loss statement, right? You have to get someone to provide you with the profit and loss statement every month that you understand. If you don't understand it, you have to ask that person, look, go through it with me. And what we see is a profit and loss statement that has 80 line items. Now, my job as an operator, when when I owned Pratt, you know, groups or I was a COO or a partner, you have to be able to, if you're managing... 42 offices, right? And we're looking at profit and loss statements. You can't look at all 82 because there's not a benchmark for 82 expense line items, but there is a benchmark for 15 of them, right? So our profit and loss statements that we have are 15, 16 line items. And everyone knows what the benchmark is for each one of those line items. So having that, every month so you understand it and you know hey look our dental supplies are supposed to be 5.5 percent we're at seven percent you know that hey guys we got to work on this what can we do to make this better you know what let's put a budget up and say hey 
Let's get 5.5% of our last month's collections. Let's put it up on a sheet. And whoever orders as you order, subtract it. I mean, it can be that simple. Yeah. And you start learning these things. So the profit and loss statement is, is something that the industry really doesn't have uh, suited well enough for the dentist. We see clients that have multiple offices and it's like, can you get your P&Ls? They send it over from their accounting firm. And just by seeing them, you can't make decisions on them. So you want a tool, an item that you can make decisions on. So you, we take a look at it. There are three types of KPIs. There are your clinical KPIs, which we talked about that are, you know, we want to make sure we have an FMX and a PAN for everyone. That's a clinical KPI that you would check all the time. Another clinical KPI is that, hey, look, we don't do amalgams, right? If you have 10 doctors, you want to be able to check their report that we don't have any amalgams. Um, we talked about the perio percentage. So those are clinical type ones. Your, your business ones are number of new patients, cost per new patient, referral sources, things of that nature. Your financial ones are your ones on your P&L. So you, you need to, if you have those three down where you're very clear on them, and you have one office, you're ready for a second office. Well, right, and I think that distinction you just made is so important. You talked about right, not just having the PL, right, not just having these key performance indicators, but actually understanding what's in front of you. Because I think that's such a common misconception for so many of us as we get our PL and we're like, yeah, the last number is in the positive or the last number is in the red. That's all I need to look at, right? I, I made money this month or I lost money. I need to do better. Instead of actually really having a deep understanding of, of hey, how can we make better decisions based on these P&Ls? And a lot of times it's the accounting firms that are not well suited to do this because they're simply looking at it mainly from a tax standpoint instead of a true business growth standpoint. Yeah, yeah, you're 100%, right? The accountants are tax people and they have, a lot of them now have bookkeeping service to, to provide it for you. But it's different when you're an operator that you're living inside the dental office all the time, right? So that becomes important. And, and when you have those three pieces that I mentioned, there's always the next layer. So the next layer on the P&L is, is, building a budget, right? So we we bring in, for instance, the way we do it. There's a number of different ways. I just want to use this as an example. Um, you know, right now we're into budget season right now. So, you know, with the people we work with and, and we our revenue is driven off of production per hour. So we literally sit with the teams and the owners and the ops person or the manager and say, okay, well, look, this office has Dr. So-and-so who's an associate and they're at, you know, 328 an hour. They've been with us for six months and the owner doctor is, you know, has spent some time with them, done chart reviews. And, you know, we might build out the budget that, hey, they're gonna work the 20 days a month, eight hours a day. And by month number 12, they're producing $500 an hour. And we do that with the hygienists, and that's how we build our budget for our revenue. 
right? So now, not only are you getting a P&L, you're getting a budget that says, hey, look, you know, we estimated that this doctor was going to work this many hours, this production per hour, the hygiene was going to do this, and we were going to manage our expenses to these line items. And now when you're looking at your P&L, you're like, okay, why was the revenue off? Oh, you know, John, the hygienist took four days off. Or, you know, we had Dr. Smith at 320. He was at 180. What happened, right? Hmm. So that whole level right there is, it's a whole nother extension of where we would go, right? And this is all doable with the right team, people, whoever it might be around you. Yeah. Well, right. And and let's talk a little about kind of the services that you provide, because, right, you know, to to really grow and scale, you do need that team. But, you know, at earlier stages, you may not be able to afford a full time CFO or a full time human resource management or a full time person to to really do all the the hygiene performance consulting. So so right. How do you really help, you know, offices grow and scale? And, And actually, we were even talking before about, you know, an office that came to you, they were kind of in, in stage two, right? That foundational stage. Mm-hmm. And you started working with them when they wanted to, to bring in a third partner. What were some things that you were able to, to help them with and really using that team approach that you have? Yeah, so so there was two docs. They had two offices. They were thinking about getting a third, but they had an associate that they promised a partnership to. So that's when I work with them to bring their, you know, to work with their accountants and bring in the appropriate attorney that would set up the DSO for them um, and bring this partner in at a certain level. And they were proactive in saying, hey, listen, we're going down this path. We understand that we really don't know what we're doing, but we want to do it and we want some guidance. And, you know, I think they've been with us six years or so. And, you know, today um, they have six locations. They close in their seventh in December. They're bringing in another partner with a practice. Their eighth in December. And their ninth is coming in Q1 of next year. And this is all very slow strategic growth. You know, with local bank that nothing crazy, nothing high leveraged. And we were able to do that because we worked with them initially saying, okay, docs, where do you guys want to be in five years? We proofed it out that it was reasonable, right? We work on the roadmap and and we come up with the top 20 items. And immediately the first thing we do is we have our weekly call with, with the owners and their manager, let's say, or their ops person in this position they this situation they had manager and it's all about growing people so our job was to grow and see if that manager could become their director of operations Mm. fast forward that person's still there they got 78 employees now you know she's got um you know some she's managing all the other operations but just like you said at that stage two which is two to three locations that's the hardest stage because what we see is a doctor that's running around from office to office a day a week, you know, has one admin day and maybe their main office there two days a week. And if they don't go to those other offices, those other practices are not profitable. And they might be a little bit of a micromanager and haven't put the systems in place 
all the accountability in place. So all the people, 30 people report to them. Hmm. And in that situation, we see major burnout. We see that's when doctors want to be done with this and sell. They sell all three practices. They sell two and say, you know what? I went down this path and, and forget it. I'm going to stick to one. And when you have the three locations and you have 30 employees, the problem is you need a controller. You need a COO. You need an HR person. Number one, the rate that this industry is growing so fast, you can't find the experienced people. Number two, to afford them, you would burn all your cash. Right? And then number three, you got to hire them, which is difficult to do if you don't know what the role is. And then number four, you have to hold them accountable. So in our model, we're like, okay, we're going to provide you with a fractional COO, fractional HR, and fractional controller for the cost of one. Right? Until you get big enough, you can afford it. Then you hire your own controller. But in the meantime, we're working to build that accountability for you so you don't have to do it. And, and you're on the weekly calls watching how this person, this ops person, if you would, is growing or not growing, right? So the doctors have to do their clinical piece because there's enough to do clinically. Again, I want to re repeat this. A lot of doctors want to get caught up in the administrative piece. That's the easy thing. The hard thing is growing providers. And if you can't grow providers, you don't have a good business. Hmm. You know, Tim, I think we talked earlier before, you know, the first thing with all of us, no matter what we do, in order to grow others, we have to grow ourselves. So as a clinician, and again, th these are numbers, but I know they, they, they translate into what dentists believe is the appropriate care. So if you're a dentist owner, in, in, uh, I mean a practice owner, and your productivity level is at $500 an hour, okay, it's very difficult for you to bring people in and train them to be a $1,000 an hour producer if you're 500. But if you're an $1,800 producer, right, you, it's so much easier for you to get them to 800 or 900. It's very, 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 very rare that an associate produces more than an owner. So, so, and what we see and what we've seen on the clinical side is it comes down to confidence in treatment planning. And we see that people that have done all of these other courses, I don't know, be it Dawson, Spear, Kois, uh, LVI, that have committed to their careers and grown them, those folks are producing more per hour and they feel that they're providing a higher quality of care. So when, when you're talking about a group that has, you know, 20 doctors, right? And you increase them $200 per hour. It's millions of dollars, right? So, you know, there's a lot of this out there. Now I go to some of these DSO conferences and you see the same people there and, well, how many offices you got? How many offices you got? And, 
you know, then you get under the hood and it's like, okay, you got seven offices, but you were making more money when you had one. Hmm. Like, why are you doing this? So we see people get caught up in that whole hoopla. I mean, I look, this is, this is an opportunity for you to grow something that you thought was important because you went to dental school and actually turn it into an investment. I was talking to Tim about this earlier also. You know, the reason that Wall Street institutional investors are in dentistry is because the returns are very, very good. So, you know, it might make sense for a dentist to invest 100 grand in another dental office than in the stock market because at least you've got control over it and you know what you've got. Now, I understand there's diverse, diversification and all that. But, hey, look, if I'm a rock star and I'm going, well, I don't need diversification. I, I really don't because what I do is so well unless, you know, I don't know. We're not going to need dentists anymore. Then, then maybe that's a diversification. <laughs> yeah, right. You've hit on this investment theme, you know, quite a bit. At what stage do you start looking for outside capital? Do you advise on that and and help people find the financing? Because there's there's all sorts of, of routes to find financing to make investments in your practice. Yeah, I mean, look, the cheapest is is debt, right? And that because you're paying your three and four and five percent, right? So if you can grow methodically, you're going to hold most of your equity, right? And that's what you want. That's what you want to do. There's, you know, there are other uh, means of of raising capital through different types of investors, mezzanine investors that, you know, it's high interest, 12%, and then they get some back-end warrants on it. But now you're starting to get into this institutional investor world. So, um, you know, it's just, for me, I think it's bank debt. If, if you're, because you're going to control your own dentistry uh, destiny. And if you can grow on bank debt and do it well, you're going to build a great business. Yeah. And, and if you need different types of money, it's probably because, you, you want to go too fast. Yeah, right. I, I'm thinking of the example you just gave where, right, someone scales to seven, eight, ten practices or, or whatever it is. And you're like, you were making more money when you had two. And, and so, right, it's important to do this right and, and keep your reason and your why right front and center to make sure you really are doing this in, in a way that makes sense. Because, right, if you just are busier but making less money, that's not necessarily a good equation, is it? Correct. I mean, one of the things that we do with our clients for the most part, they, if you have an office or, you know, doing less than a million dollars, you should not go after another one. Or if they have seven offices, you know, maybe I'll, if they've got one that's not at a million yet, but it's on their way there, I'd be okay. Because if you can't get a second one to a million, what are you buying the third one for? Yeah. Because you really need a million dollars to make the appropriate money. So, so what are the traits and, and the mindsets that, that you see of, of really the successful dentists and owners who are able to, to really play this game well? Um, I mean, look, you, you have to have, and it's, it sounds like it's your group, right? You've got to have an abundance mentality. Um, look, people, there are a few doctors out there that have been very, very successful on their own. 
right? Um, but we see the ones that are abundant are out there always trying to get help because you're, you're paying for it one way or the other, right? You either pay for it mistakes like I did, or you pay someone so you don't have the mistakes, right? Uh, and, and these people are constantly trying, again, they're growing themselves. They're growing themselves first. They, they are very good providers and if if there are a couple the ones that are real good that realize that they don't like dentistry they realize they get themselves a good clinical partner and then they take that business role on but they're constantly growing constantly learning from others constantly trying to find hey what's vin doing how could he help us or vin who do you know that might be able to help us in here right they're always driving forward right and and it's it's your group because they're they're with you and they're trying to learn right so i think that that's an important trait but the most important thing i would say is focus on number one making the patients happy and number two growing your providers well growing yourself and your providers yeah if you do those three the rest will come yeah very powerful. Now, I, I also love what you talk about. I'm going to do a quick screen share here and and put this up. But, you know, you talk about, you know, really kind of the, the six stages of, of growth here. And right. So, so we're looking at this. Right. And, and I and I love this. Just give us a real high level overview of kind of that sole practitioner, the the entrepreneurial, the foundation, the, the platform for growth. And then all the way up to, you know, leadership and vision at the top here. Yeah. So, you know, your sole practitioner, you're, you're, you're your own office, right? You, you're running your own practice and um, you're doing your own things. You, you, you're, you're an entrepreneur. At the end of the day, you are an entrepreneur for having one practice, but you know, dentistry has been so good to people that the sole, sole practitioner has been very lucky in the past and, and able to be successful. Right. So the minute you go on to this second location and you become more entrepreneurial, this stage two is that one that I spoke about before. It's two to three locations, two to four, somewhere in there. I like it to three that we see that failure, you know, where it's a it's it's a critical point to get yourself set up correctly. If you graduate out of number two correctly and you do it correctly, you're going to slowly go through the others, right? And that there is being able to get that bookkeeper that can help you where you need them. Get someone to help you on the HR side. Get someone that's got that operational experience that can guide you there. And build that corporate infrastructure in that corporate org chart of who reports to who and have your systems in place. So now when you're getting to your foundational development, which is four to nine, now you're like, okay, well, now I have the back office infrastructure in place or the practice support center, right? We have an ops person full-time. We've got, you know, we're, we're evaluating, um, posting of the checks where that's going to happen. We've got a bookkeeper in there full-time. We've got someone managing the HR full-time. 
or we've got the right people around us. And our systems are now working because we can duplicate them and we've identified our business, clinical, and operational KPIs or, or business, financial, and business ones. I mean, in clinical, right? So we've identified, we keep using those, and we have shown that we can grow our providers because we've gone from one practice to the next and haven't lost or we've grown them, right? So the practices that are real successful are the ones that can grow a $500,000 practice to a million dollars in one year. And you should be able to do that. The problem becomes at some point when you get to the foundation, uh, you know, the, the platform for growth and you've got too many offices, it becomes too hard hmm. because you don't have that talent to do that, right? So when you get to the foundational development, now you're talking 10 to 20 locations. Now you're putting in the full-time people in this administrative, this practice support center. And you've now been able to flush out what you want to centralize and not centralize, what you want to outsource and not outsource. People have call centers. People don't have call centers. You know, I, I, I don't, the call centers, I think is, is something for 30 offices or more. Um, but are you going to post check centrally? Are you going to do insurance centrally? Are you going to keep it at the office level? Um, are you going to outsource some functions um, like insurance claim processing to another party? Now we're seeing people doing all of the AR. IAR, right? We've got we've got dental billing companies now, right? 20 years ago, that really didn't exist. Today, you know, is it cheaper for you to do it or to pay the 3%? So you now you're really creating that foundation. You got 10 to 20 locations. Your platform is, you know, 20 to 30. You now you've got a platform and now you're starting to repeat, right? You go to your organizational evolution. Now you're getting layers within your departments that are corporate. So your accounting team now has departments. They got an AP department. They got a payroll department. And you're really building that out. And you've really proved out your model on how you're acquiring practices or partnering with practices. Right. And once you hit that 40 and over, you're, you know, you're rinsing and repeating and you're, you're really focusing high level. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was quick. I, I know it was quick. Yeah, no, no. But I, I think it's just such a, a valuable model that you offer because, right, th these are not skills that you get in dental school. These are not skills that you can necessarily even pick up by, by reading a book, right? You, you need the team to, to do this. You need the people. And I love that, that so much. And I think that's the big takeaway I'm getting today. And I hope that if you're listening also, it's about growing people within your organization and growing those roles and, and really teaching people how to be leaders of your organization. And Perfect. so, and, and actually, you know, you, you've got a copy of this ebook that, that people can download. I've put the link in. I would encourage you to grab a copy of it. Super, super valuable. Yeah. That would go through those stages a whole lot better than yeah. I just verbalized them. Yeah. So no, I, I, I encourage you to, to grab that if you want to go deep on that. And so, right. We've been talking about, right. How do you really move from that sole practitioner to, to DSO owner? And right. You, lots of different hats to wear but the great thing is you can develop leaders to wear those different hats and, and really start this process and, and you know i'm just wondering right is there kind of a standard approach 
that doctors can take to, to doing this, right? What is, is there a standard way of doing this? Well, I mean, I think it's a standard way of doing it, right? I think it's, you know, many of the items that we've discussed here, right? It's getting that culture down, getting those KPIs by those three operational finance and, and, and clinical KPIs, monitoring them, knowing your financial numbers, growing yourself to be a better provider, making sure your patients are happy and growing your team, making sure your team's happy and growing them. I, I think that's all I got for you. It sounds, I wish it could be more complex than that, but there's a lot right there. Yeah. Like, there's right, a lot right there. Each one of those items, right? It sounds so simple, but, but each one could take a lifetime to master and really do well. And that's why I think to accelerate your success, like you mentioned, you need mentors, you need coaches, you need the right team around you to, to really do this well. Right. So, I mean, it just saves you time and energy, right? Yep. And, and getting, because you got to figure out the model that you're, you're going to have your core values of who you are, where you're going. But once you get to that platform, that, you know, emerging space there where you got four to nine locations, you, before then you can play around. Maybe you're going to partner in one office and, you got associates elsewhere, you know, after you leave four offices, you really got to commit to a model, right? Because I, I've seen people create big messes where they got partners in three offices and they got their own five offices here. And now they've got this DSO and they're charging the office, the office that their partners in certain amount of money and that partner's getting mad. And it's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. And, and now you're just spending you know, a lot of time, energy, and money in dismantling partnerships. Yeah. Well, right. It really comes back to the, the, the how we started this is, right, getting clear on your, your vision, your mission, your purpose, your why. And if you get clear on that, then you're actually going to have a, a process as you approach these things. And it's not going to be haphazard. It's going to be done on purpose. Right. Right. Yeah. So any closing thoughts here before we sign off then? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, we talked about the whole concept of the DSOs and, and how, you know, when I'm out there, you know, chatting with single doctors, I'm, uh, you know, doctors that have single locations or solo practitioners, I, I'm feeling that there's like a lot of fear around there that, hey, look at, you know, a DSOs coming to town, I'm not going to be able to compete. And you know, what, I'm going to just sell to them. I, you know, look, I think, it's easier to compete against a DSL than it is a guy or gal who lives in your community. Hmm. Yeah. They're going to have some more marketing dollars. Yeah. They're going to be able to provide more benefits, but you can provide those benefits too. It's going to be a cost for you also. So there's this fear factor out there that I wouldn't really get caught up in. Um, and uh, you know, you, you do have the ability yourself to own a practice or two, uh, you know, if you really wanted to and invest in yourself and then, you know, something on the models today, we're seeing more models that have partnerships in them uh, than before. Before it was uh, more associates and there was a, you know, doctor turnover became too much of an issue and the investors were concerned about doctor turnover. So now they're building out these partnership models. But again, before you jump into a partnership, make sure there's a path to partnership, which means, hey, look, you have to do all these items before you can become a partner. And when you do become a partner, you have to do these things. 
right? I don't know how many clients we have that they brought in these partners, right? And the two main partners are still doing all the work and no, the other partners don't. Hmm. That's that's sad, right? That's it, that's unfortunate for those folks. So right. there's a path. Like, yeah, it's like being on a boat and only having two people rowing. Right, right. Well, excellent. Well, hey, thank you for sharing so generously with you. I, I know I certainly have a much better understanding of just kind of, you know, what, what are the systems? What are the processes? What are the, the core things that you should focus on in your practice? And, and if you're listening, hopefully you've gained a lot more confidence into really building the, the health of your dental practice. And I'd encourage you, reach out to Vin, reach out to the other professionals, find a mentor, right? If you're serious about this, dive in and really work on creating that vision so that you can move forward with confidence. And then once again, thank you for being a great guest. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. And, and I appreciate the opportunity and I hope I was helpful to you in the community. Yeah, absolutely. And like I end every episode, right? We don't want you to just listen to these things. We want you to get out there and implement them because if you implement them, you're going to be able to build that amazing life of significance. And you're going to be able to do it quicker and with less effort than ever before. Until next time, we'll see you again soon on Dental Wealth Nation. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 